Hi friends, welcome to Bookish Bliss, our virtual book club. Every week we will dig into a section of chapters in our favorite books. Let's get started. Hello, hello everyone, and welcome to our first ever episode of Bookish Bliss. We have a lot to discuss today. This week we are covering chapters 1 through 11 of A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass. There will be no spoilers beyond the covered chapters. You don't have to read the whole book to listen. You just have to be caught up on the chapters we're covering. Amanda, what are you drinking tonight? So I've actually been really sick this week, and I am on antibiotics. So I am drinking LaCroix orange flavored tonight. Wow. Well, I will drink for you. (laughs) I am having... A Rochambeau from Newport Vineyards, a little local vineyard here in Rhode Island. So I thought that I would have that for our first episode. So I'll cheers you to that. Cheers. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Episode one, baby. Gonna need this. (laughs) Delicious. So good. It's my favorite. All right. Now let's get started with the good stuff and break down Akatar part one. Over to you, Meg. All right, guys, please bear with me. I'm going to do a brief couple of sentences for each chapter, and we'll be digging more into the plot later in the episode. Chapter one. We open up in the forest, and the weather conditions are not ideal for hunting. Our main character is deep into the woods, trying to find dinner for her family. The family is no longer well off, and they rely on the food Favor brings back from her hunts. She's about to give up when she spots a doe, but also a golden set of eyes that belongs to a wolf, which she states is the size of a pony. She takes her ash arrow into her bow and she shoots the wolf as the wolf lunges for the doe. She delivers the fatal blow to the wolf by shooting him in the eye. The wolf does not fight back and she starts her return to her home with the doe and the pelt of the wolf. Chapter 2 Our main girl, who we finally learn her name, Feyre, returns home to her ungrateful family. They don't care that she survived all day in the forest. They are only concerned with her now preparing and cooking the meat of the dough. We learn that she's the youngest of three sisters and lives with them and her injured father. Her mother died before they lost all their fortune, and Feyre made a promise to her in her deathbed. Feyre has an argument with Nesta, and her father tries to intervene. Which brings us to chapter three. We get to see the village and market as Feyre and co. are going to sell the pelts for money. We meet the children of the blessed who are insane. We see another confrontation from Nesta who is disgusted by what they represent. Feyre moves them along and approaches a mercenary who purchases both pelts but warns her to stay away from the wall. Feyre gets to have a roll in the hay with her lover Isaac, but after a nice release of tension, a figure breaks down their door with a roar! Which brings us to chapter four where we hear murderers, which is a dramatic way to start a chapter. But Feyre is an unfazed queen who is like, what do you want? Please get out. The beast is like, nope, you're coming with me, little lady. (laughs) You broke the treaty. Now it's a life for a life. Feyre can go live with him in the fairylands or die. Of course, her family is useless and her father barely sticks up for her. The chapter ends with her breaking her promise to her mother and she heads off to the beast's home. Chapter five, the beast leads her to a horse who lowers his head in respect. We are reminded that the Fae cannot keep human slaves per the treaty. Feyre wants to ask the beast questions, in particular his name. He doesn't want to speak to her, so he knocks her out with magic. (laughs) When she wakes up, again, they were already through the wall in the Fae territory. Which, poor girl. In chapter 6, when they arrive at the beast's estate, she tries to get the horse to turn around when she arrives, but the horse said no. She knows that she will need food and supplies if she's ever going to survive and escape back to the mortal lands. When Feyre finds the beast in the dining room, he poofs and turns from a beast to a high fae. 
He reminds her she can live anywhere in Perithian while introducing us to a new fae named Lucian. He isn't very fond of her, so she goes to her room where a servant named Alice cleans her up and almost forces her to wear a gown. Chapter 7. Feyre comes back down to the dining room in a tunic and trousers, which Lucian finds appalling, but Tamlin, we finally learn his name, is all but it's easier to kill us in pants. Tamlin makes her eat, saying the food and wine won't hurt her, and attempts to compliment her after serving her a meal. The compliment falls short, and Lucian feels Tamlin is hopeless hot mess in the wooing department. They try to ask her if she was ever in love, and she laughs at them. She is worried about her family, but Tamlin says they're being taken care of. The next morning, she goes for a walk in the garden and gets him to spill on the treaty. He tells her magic is awry and there's a blight in the lands. Oh, no! Oh, no! Chapter 8. Feyre thinks she's being stealthy by sneaking around the property, looking for hiding places. She has her escape route planned since her window doesn't have a lock. Tamlin has taken all her weapons, but she is able to grab a new knife at dinner to stash in her satchel. Her biggest goal at the moment is to get Lucian on her good side and to see if there's any way he can convince Tamlin to let her return to her family. Tamlin brings up her liking to hunt. She is offended because she hunted out of necessity, not because she enjoyed it. They bring up her mother and she doesn't want to rehash any memories with them, so she leaves the room. Chapter 9. All our girl can think about is getting Lucian on her side and getting home to her family. Tamlin asks her to hang out, but she blows him off to go hunting with Lucian. While in the woods, we get some banter with Lucian, and he totally calls her out on why she's hanging out with him. Alas, there is nothing he can do to help her. There is no way to get out of the treaty. We learn there is a fairy called the Surreal, who is old and wicked, that could help her, but he would have her locked up before they would let her seek the Surreal out. We have a dramatic ending to this chapter when Lucian tells her to look straight ahead and not to react. She is about to encounter her first fairy that isn't being told not to harm her. Chapter 10, we pick up right where we left off with a fairy that wants to eat both her and Lucian alive. The bog is the name of the fairy and is taunting favorite to look at it. She's about to give in when it slinks away. Tam Tam is annoyed that they were out together when they arrive back at the estate for dinner. Lucian tells him about the bog and he sets off right away to go and kill it. Feyre, as always, is an unfazed queen and keeps eating her dinner before returning to her room. She does look for his return out her window, but after hours of waiting, she thinks she finally sees him coming back. But it's really her father? Chapter 11. Feyre grabs the supplies she's been hoarding and climbs out her window. Her father, who is moving at a remarkably fast speed, beckons her closer to the gates. She finds her father's attire odd and no horses in sight, but instead of questioning this, she keeps moving closer. Tamlin stops her, thank goodness, because it really was the puka trying to lure her to her death. you think she would be more aware after her other near-death experience with the bog. Tam Tam is annoyed with her and like, stop running back to your family. They're taken care of. Your vow to your mother is not broken. Thank God it finally clicks that her family is okay. Now she really just doesn't know what to do with her time. And that, my friends, is a brief summary of all 11 chapters. Now I'm going to hand this over to Amanda, who has a pretty big job at hand introducing us to our characters and the world that we're currently in. Okay, so because we're at the beginning of our book, we do have a ton of characters that we're introduced to and a ton of world building so bear with me we're going to discuss a little bit about each character after i introduce them and we'll go from there let's start with our main girl Feyre and her family when i was looking up how to pronounce Feyre's name correctly i saw that her name in old english means fair and beautiful she is 19 years old the youngest of three girls who lost their mother when she was eight she's frail and skinny starving from her family now being poor 
But due to a promise she made to her mother on her deathbed, she was the family caregiver and the provider having to hunt and feed her family since her father was injured and could barely walk with a cane. Her word clearly means everything to her because none of the family appreciates what she does or even tries to help her. They just expect to be taken care of. And this definitely gets to our girl, Feyre. In her mind, there is nothing she can do about it since she made that promise to her mother and she intended on keeping it no matter what. Although she's frail, she is lethal with a bow and arrow, especially with an ashwood arrow and an iron bow. And she is strong. She has no remorse killing that fairy and saw it as an opportunity to save her village from an attack. She is also very resourceful and would never let any part of her kill go to waste. Even the scraps were sold for money to the vendors in the local market. She is able to make tough decisions and isn't scared of the consequences, even when it could kill her. But we also learn she does have a softer side and she loves to paint and is fascinated by the colors of the world. She does mention a love interest, Isaac Hale. Well, he's more of a booty call, but he is the first and only person she would secretly meet and get in the sack with. For two years, she is saddened to learn that he is proposing to another girl, but she admits she never really loved him anyways. Bottom line, she's such a badass. She is such a badass. Feyre is definitely one of yes. my favorite characters from any book of all time, and I just can't wait for you to see how her character develops throughout this book. I can't wait either. I know she is going to just keep us on our toes and be exciting. She's definitely going to take us on a wild (laughs) journey. The only similarity between her and her sisters is their gold brown hair. She is nothing like them and that is a compliment. She obviously has built resentment towards them since their priorities are talking to and about boys and they are only interested in their personal gains instead of the family as a whole. Favor wishes she could just marry them off and wouldn't have to be responsible for them anymore. I freaking wish that for her. Like, these bitches. I know. I just hope the best for her now that she doesn't have to deal with them. (laughs) Thank God. She's on (laughs) vacation right now. And she thinks she's trapped. Well. Yeah, she thinks she's trapped. She's living in spring weather instead of the winter. And literally just living her life, eating all the food she wants hanging out in the gardens like what nesta who is the oldest of the three became a brat when their family lost their wealth she blamed her father for it and has treated him like shit ever since she barely talks to him and would even move his cane far away from him knowing damn well that he would struggle to get around without it it's like pulling teeth to get nesta to help fairer with anything really her excuse for not helping chop wood is that fairer is more suited to do it with her callous filled hands Yeah, well, if I was Feyre, I'd punch her in the throat. But she clearly still cares about her sister because when she learns that Nesta plans on marrying the woodcutter's son, Thomas Mandre, she tries to talk her out of it. Feyre knows Thomas's father is not good to his mother and they are just as poor as their family. But all Feyre can do is tell her not to do it. But it doesn't mean Nesta will listen to her, though. It definitely does not mean Nesta will listen to her. Nesta is definitely a very strong-willed character. I don't think that will ever change. I think... You know, if we do see Nesta down the line again, which I may or may not know. um, (laughs) Don't tell us, Megan. (laughs) I think she will always have the same kind of strong willed. I do what I want. It doesn't seem like she takes any advice from anyone ever. So, yeah, no, I don't. Maybe deep down she is listening, but who knows? We'll see. We'll see. Also, this boy who wants to marry her just lets the dad beat the crap out of the mom and doesn't say anything, then he's probably going to turn out like the dad. Yeah, we don't... to break it to you, Nesta. 
Yeah, we don't want to marry anyone who puts up with that. Even though she probably deserves it, but it's <laughs> not the mom, Nesta. <laughs> Only favors allowed, though. Yes, very true. Okay. The middle child, Elaine, is not so much of a brat, but she is an airhead. She kind of just goes with the flow and doesn't really grasp things. Favorite thinks that she either doesn't understand that they are now poor or she just refuses to accept it. She doesn't think to ever ask Feyre if she needs any help. Elaine and Feyre seem to be a bit closer though as Feyre would buy her flowers to grow and Elaine has gotten her tiny cans of paint before. Not really sure why she didn't get her some food to grow. I have to assume it was either because Feyre loved color and thought their place needed some more or Elaine maybe would lose interest in growing food versus flowers sort of for the same reason. Who knows? Maybe we'll never know. <sighs> Nesta and Elaine both wear iron bracelets that protect mortals from the Fae. Elaine has the best relationship with their father, meaning she's really the only one who talks to him these days. She does seem to be the only one that is on speaking terms with her father, but I also mm-hmm. want to know why Nesta feels so protective over Elaine and not Feyre, who is their younger yeah. sister. Yeah. She's been out hunting for them for years now when they were on the brink of starvation, and Nesta doesn't really care. But Elaine, I feel like she could get a paper cut and Nesta would be there wrapping her hands and calling the doctor. I just, I find it really interesting. I feel like Elaine doesn't really have that middle child energy. She is not playing peacekeeper between the oldest and the youngest sister. You know what kind of energy she does have, though? What? Karen from Mean Girls. (laughs) Yeah, she's like, should I plant vegetables? No, I'm going (laughs) to plant flowers because they're just so pretty. Ooh, pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's just so frustrating. I just, I really want to know, or I wish we could see a little bit more of why the dynamics are the way that they are. Yeah. I feel like Nesta could maybe be a little bit jealous of Feyre, how she's so independent and doesn't really need anybody. Or maybe vice versa. She just feels like she doesn't need to worry about her, even though they should worry about her since she's the one putting her life in danger every day. But yeah, it seems like it may have always been like that, though. If the mother on her deathbed is saying, hey, take care of your family. She was eight years old. How like these characteristics were already there for Feyre. Yeah. And it was also before they lost their wealth that the mom said that. So maybe her mom didn't realize what that actually meant, the vow that she was making Feyre make. But at the end of the day, Feyre still gets it done for them. She does. She gets it done all the time. I guess we'll have to see how things progress. Yes. All right, let's move on. We don't know their father's name, but we do know that he lost a creditor's investment and with it went his family's wealth and his health. We will get into the details later in this episode, but they beat him so badly that it took him months to walk again, and he never really fully recovered, leaving the responsibilities of providing for the family to Feyre. He believes the cottage is protected from the Fey because he has asked a charlatan to carve ward markings into the doorway, but Feyre is not convinced. He kind of just exists in the cottage with them, just another mouth for Feyre to feed. Yeah... The dad tries, but not really. But I I still feel so bad for him because obviously if it wasn't for the unfortunate event of losing all their fortune, like their lives would be so different and he wouldn't be injured and he would be. I think he just is deeply, deeply depressed. 
Yeah, he is for sure depressed and just cannot get himself out of it. Not even for his daughters. No. They would literally starve to death if it wasn't for Feyre. And none of them, I think, even realize that. Yeah, I kind of wish, and I don't know, maybe we can touch base on this later in the episode, but just... I almost wonder if Tam Tam wasn't providing for them, like, what their life would have looked like. I really feel like they would be dead in, like, the next couple months once that dough meat ran out. Yes, which is why Feyre is so worried about them still, and it takes literally 11 chapters for her to believe that Tam Tam is really taking care of them. Yeah, she's like, receipts. Proof. (laughs) I need footage. I need footage that they're okay. Do you have a magical ball that I can look through and see them? Ooh, that would be cool. Right? Yeah. We know their mother died when Feyre was just a kid. We learn through this set of chapters that she died from typhus, which is a group of diseases spread to humans by fleas or lice. She loved and respected their father and was joyous among friends in their lavish life, but she was cold towards her children. Even though she wasn't the most loving mother, and Feyre was eight years old at the time, she still made her promise that she would help the family stay together and look after them. This kind of sounds like every really rich people's mom, though, honestly. Like, are they actually as involved as our amazing mothers? I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) She is definitely not acting like Karen and Candace. No, No. definitely not. (laughs) Definitely not. Nope. But definitely acting like, who can we compare her to? Let's think. I don't know any rich bitches. (laughs) We are not upper class. We do not have any nannies. (laughs) Even though we speak with British accents, sometimes we do not. Sometimes we just like... Horrible British accents. Yes. (laughs) We're so sorry to any British English people that may listen to this podcast. We would love a lesson if you want to give us one. Yeah. (laughs) When Feyre and her sisters head to the market to bargain for the wolf pelt and doe hide, we meet the children of the blessed, or acolytes. They worshipped the high fae and would preach to anyone that would listen to them, although most of the village thought they were fanatic fools. They wore silver bells and didn't like iron, as the fairies didn't either. One of the acolytes tells Feyre that a young girl went to the border as their offering, and now she's a high fae's bride, living ravishly. But the girls just thought she was surely eaten. They believed the fairies wouldn't harm them and that Prithian was a land of peace and plenty. The girls basically told them to go play in traffic and went on their way. I'm pretty sure Feyre was like, let's move on before Nesta pounced on these children of the blessed. (laughs) Yeah. Honestly, if I was them, I would have probably just like not made eye contact and walked as fast away as I could. Yeah, it seems like the other villagers were kind of doing that. But of course, our main three girls going to the market are like, no, let's stop and talk to these crazy people. I want to (laughs) know where they got this information from. Again, like how I was saying, I need more information about the Nesta Elaine Feyre dynamic. I also need more Mm -hmm. information on the Children of the Blessed. Like, why do they believe that? Do they have proof? Do they have receipts? Like, where is this information coming from? How do they know that they're going over there to live such a life of luxury and not being slaughtered? I know. How do they know? We need to know. Yes, I need to know more. Please. Mercenaries were hired by the rich in villages to protect them from the Fae. But their area was too small to have an army, and a single mercenary couldn't stop the Fae. 
She ended up overpaying Feyre by a lot. The mercenary could tell that her and her sisters were hungry and struggling, and she said someone helped her when she was in the same position, so she was just returning the favor. I think she also respected Feyre for being her size and still taking down a huge wolf. They got into a conversation about the wall, and the mercenary warned her not to get too close and that those things were slipping through. She showed Feyre her scars and told her of her encounters with these beasts. Dun, dun, dun. How did she survive, first of all? I know. She's kind of a badass, too. She has the scars, and she survived the Fey attack when we're pretty much told, like, you will not survive. Even if there's a small army in the village, it's not going to help you. I don't know. That's just so wild. And she doesn't mention to Feyre that she has an Ashwood arrow or anything, so. Yeah. Interesting, for sure. She she survived. Now she has led down. And she's <laughs> Lots of badass money. bitches in this story so far. I'm liking right? it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. If I saw a wolf that size, I'd be like, gotta go. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I was starving to death, I'd be like, see ya. I'm Elaine. I'm Elaine. Just kidding. <laughs> we are introduced to three high fae, Andrus, Tam Tam, and Lucian, and a servant, Alice. We don't know much about Andrus, except that he was a high fae tasked with the mission to travel to the mortal lands to find a cure for the blight, which is the sickness of the magic, when Feyre killed him. He patrolled the borders, a job that Lucian now took his place doing. I wish we knew a little bit more about Andrus. I feel like that is happening, and I don't know if it's just because it's the first book, but I feel like we're introduced or mentioning of these people and then it's like this is this done moving on yeah never talked about again yeah so i mean yeah. maybe and you would know but i wouldn't if we are going to be introduced to him a little bit more throughout the book but yeah i don't think so not, like yeah yeah like lucian mentions him like a couple times with him taking on his job on patrol but yeah and we see the nightmare from Feyre at the end of chapter oh, yes. 11. Yeah. To my knowledge, and it has been quite some time since I've read this book, so I am picking up on some more things that I never noticed the first time around, but I don't think that we ever find out any more information about him. Interesting. Hmm. Interessante. <laughs> Tamlin is the high fae who sought out Feyre and brought her to Prithian to live out the rest of her life to pay her debt for killing the fairy, who we find out is Andrus. He looked like a young man with goldish hair and wears a golden mask. He is the strongest high fae and the most powerful that we've met so far. He not only has the power to shapeshift himself, but he can also shapeshift others. Running the lands was not supposed to fall on him. He spent most of his life training as a warrior in his father's war bands to serve for him or others. Besides upholding the treaty and forcing Feyre to stay in Prithian, he is kind to her. He offers to take her on a tour of the land multiple times and even offers his condolences for losing her mother. He is busy most days dealing with the deadlier phase crossing over to his territory. His main priority seems to be keeping his land safe and in order. He's definitely type A. Type A Tam Tam. Don't cross him or the claws will come out. It's like, I just imagine him sitting there like at his chair and then just like, yeah, <laughs> he's like, ding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Tam Tam, what can I say about you? There's just so much. No, but it is interesting to go back to the beginning of the story and to see 
you know, his character first introduced, you know, as yeah. the beast, and then him poofing into the high fae, seeing how he interacts with her, how he interacts with Lucian, because that's the only, yeah. you don't really see him interacting with anybody else at this point, so. Right. It has been fun to go back to the beginning of this story and to see how it, how it's all playing out. Yay, I love that. Ah! Lucian is Tamlin's courtier and emissary. He wears a bronze fox mask and has long fire red hair and he is not as old as Feyre thinks he is. He has a brutal scar on his face and is missing an eye that is replaced with a movable golden orb that has magical powers that still allow him to see through it. He is upset over the death of Andrus, and at first he wants Feyre dead, but thanks to Tamlin's orders, he is forced to be kind to her. Lucian is loyal to Tamlin and cares for him deeply. He takes over the patrol route that once was Andrus's and is honored to do it. Although he is a bastard at times, I think he and Feyre are beginning to bond and could maybe even be friends. He saves her life from the Bogue when he could have let her die, but he could have saved her for Tamlin's sake, following his orders not to harm her. That is very true. We don't really know what his intentions are at this time. Yeah, we do Even not. though he's bantering with her, letting her go on hunts, we just we haven't seen enough, I don't think. But I will say, yeah. no spoilers, and is maybe... I don't know. He's he's up there for me in, in the entire series. I really do love Lucian. Yeah. And, I yeah. love Lucian so far, for sure. Yeah. And I know he, like, is ready for Feyre to die when he first meets her, but I really do feel like they're becoming friends. Yeah. In book one, maybe he could be my number one. I don't know. Maybe. Ooh, interesante. <laughs> I just love him. I just love his sass. I love, you know, he, he gives it right back to Tamlin. Yeah. To Feyre, yeah. he doesn't care who he's really speaking to. He's like, this is how it is. This is how yep. I feel. And everyone's going to know about it. And I love that. I can appreciate that out of someone. Yes, for sure. For sure. Alice is a servant to the High Fae and wears a simple brass bird mask. She is tasked with bathing and grooming Feyre. She warns Feyre that all fairies will be after her for being human, never mind for killing Andrus. Her master's protection only goes so far. Alice warns Feyre that even your senses will try to betray you here. I love Alice. I love Alice too. I love Alice We actually have a really, really funny story about Alice that we'll share later so we don't give out any spoilers. (laughs) But maybe we can get Tara to come tell her story. Oh, yes. That would be so funny. I was like, for a second when you first said that, I'm like, wait, is this something we want to talk about tonight? But no, it's definitely later down the line in the book. Yeah. (laughs) Um, it's a really, really funny story, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Probably, if I can think of my encyclopedia brain of this book, I believe it will be episode three. Guys, Megan, literally, I'll be like, when did this happen? She'll be like, chapter four, page 83. I'm like, oh my god, she knows everything about this book, and that's why we love her. And we need her here to tell us everything. <laughs> yes. So we'll probably be telling you that it's it's a really funny story. Or at least yeah. we think it's hilarious. So we hope you think oh, it's it funny. Is. But in regards to this episode, I love, I just love Alice. I love her yes. sass. I love how she's like, you're not wearing your old clothes, Feyre, and storms out of the room. Yeah. I mean, she says, she's just like, no, that's it. No. No. I'm the boss. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what you're going to wear. <laughs> Except she does give her tunics and the trousers yeah she gives in for now we'll see do you want to see Feyre in a gown I don't know I kind of think she would look pretty in a gown (laughs) I think so too but no I don't know I guess she's not used to wearing that to dinner 
No, she wears like ratty clothes and beat up yeah. boots. Even what she's wearing now is a step up from something she hasn't worn since she was eight years old. Very true. Very true. We got to ease her in, you know, ease her into the lavish lifestyle again. Yeah, her retirement. Yeah. (laughs) There is one more character that we are vaguely introduced to while Feyre is talking to Lucian about the magical blight and why it trapped them in their masks. Lucian responds to her with a harsh laugh and says, something was sent from the shitholes of hell but then quickly regrets his words. He says, I shouldn't have said that. If word got back to her, dot, 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 and Feyre asks, who? Lucian says, never mind. The less you know, the better. Who, who is her? Is who is this bitch? I know. <laughs> we must know. Well, you know, but. <laughs> no, but really, it's kind of daunting if you, when yeah. you don't know who this her is and she has this much power that it makes Lucian nervous. Yes, especially knowing how powerful Tam Tam is, and he's yeah. still kind of scared of her. Yeah, with them being nervous about, you know, the encounter with the bog, I think is a little bit different because they were about to face that together. True. But this her wasn't even there. He just happened to mention something that he was nervous could get back to her. Yeah. And he knows he would have Tamlin on his side. Mm-hmm. So... It's definitely daunting and One scary something we should be worried about in the near chapters coming up. Yeah, for sure. So that is all of our characters that were introduced to in this section of chapters. There was a lot, but a lot. we are finally done <laughs> and onto the world building. So our book includes a map of our world. We have the wall that splits the fairy lands in the north from the mortal lands in the south. The fairy lands are split into three territories. From left to right, they are Highburn, Prithian, and the fairy realms. All mortals live in the mortal lands. Feyre's village and Prithian share a border. In fact, her village is only two days away from the Prithian border. This village was very poor and their main focus was surviving every week. Right now, it's winter in the mortal lands where it is cold, the wind whipped, and snow fell so hard your tracks were instantly covered. The surroundings were very brown, gray, and colorless, a world that was much different from their wealthy, colorful world they once lived. Feyre's family had been living there for eight years, and in this time, there had not been any attacks from the fairy. Prithian has seven courts and one other territory called out on the map. From north to south, the courts are night, day, dawn, winter, summer, autumn, and spring. Which court do you think, even though we haven't really seen any of them, which court do you think you would want to live in the most? Hmm. I think I would pick summer. Not knowing anything about it yet, I would pick summer because summer is my favorite. I love the summer. I love the heat. Mm. How about you? I don't know if I should answer this. Yeah, you shouldn't actually. Yeah. Don't I th- tell us. Yeah, I think, it, I think <laughs> if I gave my true opinion on which court I would want to be in, I think it would spoil too much. Okay. Maybe we'll save this for a question for our final thoughts so we can figure it out. I don't know. We might have to save this for a bit. Oh my god. Multiple books? Well, I think, honestly, without any spoilers, there's a few that really intrigue me. So I think the only one I would never want to live in is winter because that just sounds horrible. I don't like the cold. I don't like snow. Yes, it's pretty to look at, but honestly, like I'm over it after a day. So honestly, that's the only one that does not appeal to me at all. Yeah. Just climate wise, what I would have to deal with. I think that's a good answer. Yes, that's a great (laughs) answer. I love it. All of them except winter. (laughs) (laughs) The territory called out as under the mountain is sandwiched between the dawn and winter courts. The spring's court weather is exactly what you would expect. Spring weather. (laughs) 
Chirping birds and a mild breeze with vast estates full of color and exquisite gardens. The morning sky is described as a deep periwinkle splashed with hues of pumpkin and magenta from the rising dawn. That sounds so lovely. So lovely. So lovely. Most importantly, there was no screaming, no clashing weapons, and no hint of slaughter or torture. It was peaceful. We haven't been to any other courts or Hybrin or the fairy realms yet, so we will get into the details of these places when we make it there. If we make it there. Oh, if we make it there. There was a treaty forged 500 years ago between the fairy and mortal lands. The humans used to be slaves to the Haifei. They built their temples and homes until they rebelled. There was a bloody war that didn't end until six mortal queens came together and developed the treaty and constructed the wall. The treaty forbade any fae from enslaving mortals. It also allowed a life for a life. Any unprovoked attacks on fairy kind by humans are to be paid only by a human life in exchange. It's bound by magic and there are no loopholes, no alternatives to the treaty's demands. The treaty's summons led Tamlin to the mortal, found her responsible, and brought him right to her doorstep. Although Feyre was keen to keep her promise to her mother, she could give two shits about breaking this treaty. She is ready to hit the hills every chance she gets. (laughs) Yeah, she does not care about the treaty, a life for life. She's more concerned about the vow to her mother. She just will break this treaty at all costs. There are many different species of fairies and we are introduced to a few in this stretch of chapters. The fairies are known for tormenting and even killing mortals in nearby villages. The mortals sing lullabies about them to their children from birth to teach them that fairies hate iron and ashwood makes their immortal healing falter, enough for a human to kill it. The first type we're introduced to is a martak. They are as big as a bear with a head of a lion and three rows of teeth like a shark. Then we have the surreal. We know that they are old, wicked, and not worth the danger to see, but if trapped, they will answer any question that you ask them. The bogue. I don't like this one. Yeah, this one is creepy. Yes. The bogue cannot be hunted and cannot be killed. It's not something you can see. It's only something that you can feel. And it feels cold. Unless you give in to its whispers in an ancient hollow voice that begs you to look at them. Amanda, look at me. No, it has to be scarier, Megan. Oh. Amanda, look at me. (laughs) I can't do it. I'm not not an evil. No, that was perfect, but you're not an evil person. Amanda, look at me. Megan, look at me. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) If you do, they become real and can kill you. And last, we have the puka. Yeah, these little shits, they're so tricky. They're like, tricky. I don't like this one either. I don't think I'm supposed <laughs> to like any of them, but I don't like yeah, this one. I know. <laughs> this one in particular, yeah, scares the shit out of me. Yeah. It uses your own desires to lure you out to an isolated site, and then they eat you slowly. That's the part that hurts me, the slowly part. Yeah. Yeah. Especially they you are, think you're going to something that like you desire, yes. but they're really luring you to your death. And then not only is it not a quick death, it's a slow and agonizing death. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah. They are able to smell and track human scent. Feyre does mention hearing two pairs of invisible feet in the garden that giggle. And Lucian does jokingly mention dancing with the sprites. So we can assume that maybe what Feyre sees was sprites. Lucian also joked about swapping changelings with human babies as well. But we don't get any insight into what those are. We also learn that all fairies, including High Fae, cannot lie. I just wonder if that's actually true. 
is that something that the face spread around? <laughs> like, we can't lie, so you have to trust us. Yeah. I don't know. Little don't fishy. Know. Little, just a little bit fishy. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> The High Fae are up next in our world building section. They used to be overlords, not God, to all the lands, but now they solely rule the fairy lands, which includes the island and the continent. There are multiple per territory, at least in the Spring Court, so we don't know how many there are. They possess wealth and elegance and also have absurd fashion. They look like humans, but have pointy ears. Knowing that Ashwood can weaken their immortal healing enough for them to be killed, they burn most of the Ashwood trees to the ground. Only a few remained, and they were described as small, sickly, and hidden. Let's end our world-building section with the magic. Magic! Magic, magic, magic. <laughs> yeah, we obviously have to talk about the magic. This is a fantasy yes, novel. <laughs> exactly. It wouldn't be complete world-building in a fantasy book if we didn't mention the magic. Exactly. The first mention of magic we have is the wall. I mentioned a little earlier that it splits the mortal and fairy lands and was constructed when the treaty was forged at the end of the the war. The second mention is when the Fae, who we learn is Tam Tam, goes into the village and finds her responsible for killing the wolf. Tamlin tells Feyre that the treaty's magic led him to her doorstep. On their way back to Prithian, we get another instance of magic when Tamlin tapped her nose and put her in an enchanted sleep for two days. She had a metallic taste in her mouth before she falls asleep, and when she awakes, she realizes it's a clue to whenever magic is being used. I can't believe you did that. He just was like, nope, go to sleep. I, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah. He's like, flip. Bye. Done with you. Have a wonderful sleep. You want to know my name? Ha, 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 ha. Go to sleep. <laughs> she is bound by an invisible bond on top of the horse and understands that this is magic too. She also believes the seasons were controlled by magic since she got another tang of metallic taste in her mouth once she was over the border. She is held again by the invisible bonds when she refuses to eat at the table for the first time. She is not to leave the table until she eats. But when she starts to indulge in the mounds of food that she is not used to being served, the food instantly disappears when she is one bite away from stuffing herself to the point of throwing up. Gluttony is a sin. Yes, it is. Yes, I <laughs> ate Chipotle last night and I ate too much of it. Did you throw up? No, but I wanted to. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and the last instance we get is with Lucian's fake eye. It was fake, but he could still see through it. Although it seemed to be malfunctioning, which we learn while Tamlin Feyre and Lucian are at the dinner table in this section of chapters. We know there's something up with the magic now in Prithian, but we'll get into the blight a little later as we pivot to our plot discussion and mention our notable lines and foreshadowing. So we're gonna start kind of from the beginning again, bringing us back just so we can dig a little deeper into everything we've kind of already mentioned. Yes. So Feyre, she's hunting out a necessity. She's doing it because they're starving uh, yes. for her and her family. It's really sad actually when you read that yeah. first chapter just thinking about what she's enduring what she's doing yeah. out there for her family I can't even imagine it you can totally tell that she is in survival mode even when she gets with Tamlin you can tell that her mind is still like how am I going to survive how's my family going to survive how am I going to get out of this how are we going to get out of this she's been doing this for what eight years eight it's, years yeah it's going to be hard to break that pattern of I need to support my family I need to go hunt for my family I need to make sure that they're eating I need to eat though she doesn't seem as 
as concerned about herself eating as she is her family. No, very true. And also, we should mention that she's been living there for eight years. She's 19, so she was 11 years old when she started hunting and providing for her family. So, I mean, think about when you were 11 to 19. Like, those are really personality-building, character-building world for, like, even a human being in real life. She's going to be stuck like this in this survival mode for a while, I feel. Yeah, the trauma that she's the endured. Trauma. Good for her, She needs though. a therapist. <laughs> she needs a therapist. She can do art therapy. Yes, she can. Shout out Kyle McGovern. <laughs> yeah, I just, I can't even imagine everything that she's gone through. But also in chapter one, if we can bring it back to when she kills the wolf, the wolf lunges. I just like saw this like big cinematic like sequence in my head when I was reading this part of the chapter where the wolf just lunges for this doe, grabbing it by the neck and Feyre's just like, and, and hits the wolf instead yeah. of the doe. And then the wolf just lays there. He doesn't yeah. fight back at all. She walks up to the wolf. And yes, he's injured, but it's a wolf. I can imagine yeah. that they have a little bit more power and strength than that, which yeah. is so wild yeah. to me. He just like looks at her. Yeah. And doesn't move. So my thought about this is either he is under orders not to attack any human, maybe from Tamlin. And maybe he doesn't realize that he's been hit with an ash arrow you know so he thinks like okay this human's just getting target practice out of me here and doesn't really realize like oh shit I'm about to die <laughs> yeah because she but. doesn't know i think she does yeah. know that it's a fake but yeah. she's like oh i don't know so yeah but she's like let me use my ash arrow just mm-hmm. in case well i think the size for her is what gives it away yeah. she's never seen a wolf this big Yeah. And Lucian kind of mentions that later. We all know everybody was going to know he was a fae by his size or whatever he says, but... Yeah, so she gives him the fatal blow, an arrow to the eye, which is so disgusting. I didn't know that was how we were going to kill the wolf. Yeah. And then she skins him and, you know, starts lugging his pelts and the doe back to the family's house. And, you know, the line at the end of the chapter was, you know, but this is the forest and it was winter. She had no remorse for anything she just did. No remorse. And 19 years old, so resourceful, not even just thinking about the food, but thinking about, okay, we can make a coat out of this. Elaine needs a coat. Somebody needs shoes. We can get the teeth of the wolf and make money. I can't carry this giant wolf out of the forest, but I can sure as hell carry it too. So resourceful. We end this chapter with a pretty notable line to me on page eight of chapter one. And it says, but this is the forest and it was winter. So she has to do what she has to do for her family. She has no remorse for this situation. Yeah. Moving on to chapter two. Her family just has no respect for her. And I know we've mentioned this a couple times throughout this episode, but you know, it's what she can do to provide for her family and that's all they care about. The other two sisters are not contributing to anything to their family income, doing anything around the house, even just Feyre saying, hey, can you chop some wood since you said you were gonna do that earlier today causes a huge fight between her and Nesta. And it's not even like she's asking because she doesn't want to do it. She's asking because she's so busy doing everything else. She needs help. She's exhausted. Yeah. They're not going to have fire to cook the meat that Feyre is currently out hunting. You gotta freaking help the poor kid. She's not Cinderella, people. Literally. What do we think this is? Fucking fairy tale? I mean, it kind of is. Just not the right one. (laughs) 
<laughs> just not the right one. It's wild to me. Her clothes are, you know, falling apart. Her shoes are falling apart. And the second the sisters see that pelt that she has, their eyes light up with dollar signs and they're arguing yeah. over who's getting the money to see what they can get. I need a new clothes. Yeah. I need new boots when they have newer things than Feyre has. Literally. Brats. Brats. And the father... Useless. Useless. He's just sitting there watching these interactions happen, not intervening at all. You know, I think he is a little bit scared of what Nesta will say to him if he does try to step in. But still, you're their father. You need to make sure that all your children are safe and taken care of. And if you're too injured to not provide income or to help with the family at all, you need to make sure that the person who is providing for the family is safe and respected. Exactly. 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 Agreed. So crazy. And I think it bothers us so much because we have great families and they're so helpful and it just like blows my mind that this yeah. is still happening to this yeah. little kid. Yeah. 19 years old. Yeah. We have such like, great families. We could say, hey, I really need this or can you help me with this? And it could be anybody like, like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. Nesta really just has no respect for her. I think Elaine is too aloof, like you mentioned earlier, yeah. to really notice yeah, she's, that she's... She's Karen. Yeah, she's has no idea that she's disrespecting her sister by not doing anything. No. She thought she was yeah. doing a nice thing for her by buying paints for her that one time. And then we see that, you know, she yeah. painted the drawers, each one different for her sisters. It was the fire yeah. for Nesta, the flowers for Elaine, and then she painted the night sky guy for herself and so you know I think Mm. Elaine means well but Nesta man she really I don't get where she's coming from I don't know what she's trying to do or prove I just don't there have been no positive characteristics said about her ever not one thing yeah not one not even when she's in the spring court she just is like oh I bet Nesta's happy that she has more room to spread out now I know that broke my heart she's over here worrying if they're still okay and actually taking care And her thought about her older sister is, oh, she's probably so glad I'm gone. Yeah. And that she'd probably be be mad if I came back because they are being taken care of by Tamlin. Oh, that's awful. Just makes me so I hope she does not. I mean, I know we're going to see them again at some point. Well, I'm assuming we're going to see them again at some point. But if we do, there better be a huge attitude change from that bitch. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll see. I did have a few notable lines for this one. My first one is on page 12, chapter 2. I had stayed begging and weeping through every scream of my father, every crunch of bone. I soiled myself and then vomited right on the stones before the hearth. Only then did the men leave. We never saw them again. Holy shit. Could you imagine watching these investors, or these thugs, I should say, come into your house, beat the shit out of your dad, and you watch the whole thing to the point where you're literally soiling yourself and vomiting everywhere? Yeah, no. She probably saved his life. I'm, they probably were going to kill yeah, him. Yeah, I'm sure Faye had some reason of why her father is still alive and not dead because, you know, Nesta and Elaine weren't going to help him. They booked it after. They were like, peace, I'm out of here. They probably weren't even in the house. They're probably gallivanting, spending money, doing yeah, whatever. But very true. It, it's yeah. crazy to think, like, I wonder how much the investment really was that was lost. I know. To have creditors come and try to kill you. It's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they went from lavishly rich, wealthy to dirt poor, had to be huge. But how traumatizing for Feyre. Like, no wonder why she's so stressed with anxiety, worrying about them. She has zero trust in any of her family members. Zero. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. My other notable line was on page 16, the quote is. But I'd sworn it to her, and then she died in our miserable human world, shielded only by the promise made by the high fae five centuries ago. In our world, where we'd forgotten the names of our gods, a promise was law. A promise was currency. A promise was your bond. Mm. So we know why she takes the vow so seriously. She really feels like this is still the only way to really bond with her mom at this point. And I'm sure when she was a kid, she definitely wanted that more motherly bond with her mom. And maybe this is how she thinks she's getting it by keeping this promise for her. Yeah, it doesn't seem from what we've read with her mother being so cold to her children that with the mother giving this attention to her, making her make this vow to her, she finally probably felt, wow, my mom knows who I am. Wow, my mom can see potential in me. Wow, my mom really respects me and thinks that I can take care of this family. That's a great point. Like finally getting validation from her mother. Wow, I never thought of that, Megan. But it's so true. She probably actually instilled in her this survival attitude that she has. Yeah. Definitely. By just asking that of her. Because if she didn't, then who knows if she would have stepped up to the plate and be doing all this now. Yeah, the entire family could be, you know, dead at this point if it wasn't for Feyre's vow to their mother. Wow. Super, super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I do have a hint of foreshadowing here. I think we should pause before we go into any foreshadowing or any predictions. Only Amanda will be making these foreshadowing and predictions, and I'm going to be keeping track of them because, like we've said, I've read this book before and she hasn't so I don't want to give anything away and then during our final thoughts episode I will go over all the foreshadowing and predictions that Amanda has made or any that you give us down the line and give you my thoughts about them yes thank you Megan for keeping track and just a reminder you can send any thoughts questions foreshadowing predictions anything that's on your mind about the set of chapters that we cover send it to our Instagram DM us email us put it in our comments whatever you want to do and we will make sure we discuss it yes Please tell us what your yes. foreshadowing is. Her mother tells Feyre that her paintings would land her a husband someday. Maybe her future husband is going to fall in love with her via her paintings. That is a great prediction. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so bringing us into chapter three, you know, we get to see a bit more of their dull village. I just see it in black and white. I don't even see any color yeah. in their village when they're walking to go to the market to sell yeah. the pelts of the wolf and, and the deer. It's even described as browns and grays and very wintry. You know, how it is in winter here. Yeah, it's gross. And everything just being so poor. Yeah. Sun, nowhere to be found. And then all this dullness, we get the crazy, the children of the blessed. And they're just jingling along, (laughs) living their best life, oblivious (laughs) to that. If they go over that wall, the bog is probably going to eat them. Or the puka is going to lure them to their death and they're going to die. Yeah, literally. They'll show you a lavish life, all right. And then you'll think it's probably some huge mirage from the puka and then... They're all going to die a slow death. And then, you know, we see another confrontation with Nesta. We see the big blow-up fight in Chapter 2 with Feyre, where she's like, you're a half-wild beast, and just, you know, really trying to get under Feyre's skin. And then now we see Nesta confronting the Children of the Blessed. She's just ready to go at all times. Like, you cross her, and she's going to fight you. Well, being the oldest, and she watched their fortune go away, being the oldest, I can imagine that it probably, she took this the hardest. 
out of yeah. all of and them. And maybe it kind of bothered her that their mother asked that of Feyre and not of her. Right. Like, what was wrong so with me that you didn't yeah. ask me to make that vow? So maybe there's some resentment there. Do you that think that she really... knows about the vow that Feyre made? It doesn't state if the sisters know. That's true. Maybe not. Feyre does mention that even her dad doesn't know about it. So she probably actually doesn't know. But I feel like Nesta just knows everything. Like I feel like yeah. Nesta was probably in the lurks of the room when <laughs> the vow was being yeah. made. I can only imagine if the mom was sick and on her deathbed, I can just see Nesta not leaving her side because of how protective yeah. she is over Elaine. I can can just see Nesta like standing guard and monitoring everything that's going on. Why that falls yeah. short for her feelings for Feyre and that protectiveness? I don't know. Maybe she just knows that, you know, Feyre can take care of herself. I don't know. Yeah. Like Feyre's got it. Yeah. She don't need you, Nesta. She doesn't. But she still need wants you. your love. Yeah. She <laughs> wants her sisters. Uh, All little sisters want that from their big sis. Like, come on. Mm hmm. Exactly. I could never treat Kelsey like that. You would never treat oh, Olivia no. like that. I would never. Never. Ever. <laughs> ever. I love you, Olivia. And then we get to know a little bit more about the Fae when Feyre is talking to the mercenary, which we've kind of already kind of gone into a little bit of detail when the Martax is what the mercenary tells us about and yes. how she was attacked. Though I don't think the Martax is what attacked her, but she doesn't say who she was attacked by. I think no, she, she doesn't heard rumors of the Martax coming over the wall into a village nearby and attacking. Yeah. So I think the whole point of this scene is probably to just prepare us for the dangers that are over there as well. Mm -hmm. Which is just so drastic from the interaction we just had with the Children of the Blast. We're like, no, yes. they're fantastic. They're going to take care of us. We're going to be living yes. in a life of luxury. There's a land of plenty and peace over there. Yeah, and the mercenary is mm, like... Which is it? Yeah, the mercenary is like, you're going to die. Everyone's going to die. Yeah. The fair are going to come over here, and you're all going to get eaten and die. Yeah. <laughs> which is interesting that... Feyre's kind of had both sides of it once she goes over the wall. Yeah, true. Very true. Sorry. I need okay. a sip of, yes. of wine. Take a sip. <laughs> then we get to see Isaac. Yes. You know, he's, Her little booty he's, call. <laughs> yeah, he's mentioned before this, but, you know, he's... I just imagine him standing at the end of the market, like, with one foot up, leaning against something, and he's, yeah. like, giving her, like, the nod, like, yeah. let's go. And Fair is, <laughs> like, go. half her eyes, because she doesn't actually love him, but she's like, ooh. Yeah, she's like, oh, thank God, I get to get away from my sisters <laughs> yeah. and get some sort of release for yeah. once. Someone's gonna take care of me for yeah. an hour. <laughs> yeah, so... And then Nesta is like, I know this was a notable line for me on page 32 when she's walking away. Nesta's like, be careful. And Favor looks back at her and she's like, it's a bit too late to care. Yeah. Where were you two years ago, honey? It's been two years. Yeah. Or it's interesting that Nesta would care about her getting pregnant or I guess that's another mouth to feed that Nesta doesn't want to deal with. Yeah. But it's really the only does. concern we've seen for Feyre. Is yeah. When she's like, be careful with him. Don't get knocked up. Yeah. If Feyre is pregnant, then she can't provide for Nesta. Actually do have one bit of foreshadowing here also when one of the acolytes tells Feyre that a young girl went to the border as their offering and now she's a high-faced bride living ravishly. But the girls just thought she was surely eaten. Hmm. Does that mean our girl Feyre may become a high-faced bride? Interessante. <laughs> I'm assuming it is some foreshadowing here. Let's mark that on the spreadsheet. <laughs> I will mark it right now. I'll highlight it. I'll put yes. it in bold. 
after this brief interaction with Isaac, before this chapter ends, Feyre is back at home with her family, probably trying to lay low. Yep. And all of a sudden, those ward markings aren't working when the beast breaks down their doorway and is roaring at them. Surprise, surprise. The wards do not work. Yes. Which I think we all know that, you know, the magic is no longer in the mortal lands. and Yeah. They were not going to work, but... Feyre already knew that. She wasn't... Feyre knew that. Us as a readers knew Mm -hmm. (laughs) that it wasn't going to (laughs) work. And sure enough, it does not work. And the beast comes storming into their house, ready to fight and to kill and to do whatever he needs to do to find out who murdered his friend. And that's where chapter four picks up. The beast comes in with all the dramatics looking for the individual who killed the wolf. We have Feyre's family being useless once again useless. as she gets ready to be the only person who takes on this beast. Can you imagine standing up to this giant wolf creature roaring at you in your house? You have no protection and she's just like, mm-mm, got out. What are you doing? Yeah, she... I think just with all the trauma she's gone through, the creditors, her awful siblings. Like what scares her? I'm scared to know what scares her. (laughs) I know. Do we, have we even seen her scared yet? I don't think so. Except for like her worrying about her family, if you can count that as being scared, but I don't think so. Yeah, I think she might have been a little scared with the bog, but even still, she was curious. She wanted to know what it was. She was tempted to look because she wanted to know what it was. So the family is like backing away from the beast. The sisters are crying and huddling together in the room and Feyre takes like a knife from the table and tries to defend her family. And the beast is just like... (laughs) To pluck that out of your hand for you, girl. Yeah. He fully doesn't believe when he walks in the door that Feyre is the one that killed the wolf just by looking at her. Yeah. He's like, it's, you know you can't lie to us, right? (laughs) And she's like, I'm not lying. I killed the wolf. Yeah. (laughs) Who else is going to do it in the house, bro? These other people that are like scared shitless of you? Or this dad that can't even walk? He's still sitting in a chair when you run in the house. (laughs) The father does try to stick up for her. He says, I can get golds. She's my youngest daughter. And so in chapter four on page 38, the beast says, how much is your daughter's life worth to you? Does it equate to a sum? And I was like, wow. Yeah, I was shocked that he actually spoke. Of course you want to try to save her. Yeah, but how much is her life worth? I think a lot to them. I think no money or gold or anything they could have gotten is going to equal what her life is worth. You don't have any money to even offer, so <laughs> hopeless, but <laughs> hopeless. So my notable line is a few pages later, also from her father on page 41, where he says, you were always too good for here, Feyre, too good for us, too good for everyone. If you ever escape, ever convince them that you've paid your debt, don't return. Don't ever come back. You go somewhere new and make a name for yourself. Yeah, I got really sad. I put like a little blue sticker next to this in yeah. my book when I was tabbing because it just really broke my heart because he does, at the end of the day, see what Feyre has done for him, for their family. Yeah, finally showing some appreciation for everything that she's done. And even if she gets out, he's saying, don't worry about us. We are not your problem anymore. You have bigger problems on your hand. And if you ever get out of it, you don't need us as problems anymore. Yeah. 
Go live your life. Probably the sweetest thing he could have said to her in this moment. Yeah. Or the best thing that he's ever done for her. Yeah. Ever. Ever. In her whole 19 years of living. (laughs) Yeah. So Feyre decides that she's going to go live with the Beast and Perithian and not die, even though I think she did contemplate dying instead of of going over to live in the Fairyland. She's like, hmm. Die here or die there. Let's see. She's like, yeah, if you're going to kill me, let's go outside, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Still trying to protect her family yep. from even witnessing Having her death. Having to clean up after her mess of blood. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Oh, Feyre. Uh, so then going into chapter five, we're told that the Fae are actually the ones that told the mortals about the Ash Arrows and the Ash being their weakness during the war. Which I think is so interesting so that they interesting. gave away their weakness to them. Mm-hmm. Even if there was some fae that were maybe on their side, the human side, I think it's still really interesting that you would give up such big information. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like it probably was like a peace offering to end the war on their end, but also the one information that could kill you. Granted, they did burn all of the Ashwood mm. trees. There's only a few, like we know, very sickly hidden so maybe they are the only ones that know where this hidden location is and not the mortals so maybe that's the Mm -hmm. way that they agreed to give the information but definitely interesting for sure and a lot of chapter five is kind of giving us more of like the world building which we already went over definitely we don't want to double back but there's something else that i think that we should bring up is that while they're traveling back to the wall she's still contemplating killing the beast and running away to get back to her family. Wild. She's not going down without a fight. She's like, I'm going to figure out how to kill this beast and get back to my family. Even though the dad just said to her, do not come back to us yeah. if you can get out of this. Insane. You're too good. Too good. Yeah. So good to them. And she doesn't have her Ashwood arrow anymore. And she's still like, I will figure it out. I will kill this unkillable creature. I <laughs> yeah. will kill him and I will get back. One day. The perseverance. <laughs> Yeah. Perseverance is key, Amanda. Yes. And Feyre's got a lot of it. Yes, she does. (laughs) What I also think is so crazy is in chapter five, page 42, it says, but a white mare was waiting patiently, waiting unbound by a side of tree, her coat like fresh snow in the moonlight. She only lowered her head as if in respect of all things as the beast lumbered up to her. So she's shocked that this beast who has been so cruel to her and to her yeah. family just coming in in the middle of the night, snatching her away basically. And then they go up to this innocent horse, this beautiful white horse. And the horse looks at him with respect. And yeah. she's like, hmm, yeah, this is weird. Interesting doesn't fear the beast right yeah yeah the horse isn't tethered to anything it's just patiently waiting for the beast to return back to go back over the wall yeah it's crazy so interesting (laughs) i think it also kind of shows like hmm he is respected more and this might actually be a problem for me going into this fairyland it's not just him i'm gonna have to worry about right exactly because she doesn't care if this horse is respecting him she's still like i need to kill him i need to get out of here (laughs) i need to go back to my family yeah My notable line in this chapter is on page 46, and she says, I didn't have a chance to struggle, to fight back, when a charged metallic tang stung my nose. Exhaustion fell down upon me. Blackness swallowed me whole. 
I awoke with a jolt atop the horse, secured by invisible bonds. Magic, that's what the tang had been, what was keeping my limbs in tight, preventing me from going for my knife. Even though the beast has this magical power that literally knocks her out, she doesn't understand that it's been two days by this time, but it's that strong of magic that it can put her under for two days she still thinks as soon as she wakes up about going for her knife. And when she realizes yeah. she can't, she tells us. Yeah. She's never going to just surrender also, to the beast. Yeah. I wish we had this magical tang for when I can't sleep at night because this sounds like <laughs> such a peaceful sleep. <laughs> I know. But can I knock myself out for two days with this? Put me to sleep. All right. All Chapter right. six. We get to meet Lucy Yay, Lucian. I love him. So Lucian comes in hot. He's like, what happened? And Tamlin's like, I found her. The magic led me right to her doorstep. And he whips around looking at her like, her? She did this? Are you fucking kidding me? This little shrimp bitch. Yeah. (laughs) This starving, skinny little thing that I could snap in half killed him. Insane. But we get to see the beast transform into a high fae. Were you expecting yes. him to turn and poof into a high fae when they arrived back in the state? Honestly, no. I thought that maybe Tamlin or, well, I didn't know his name was Tamlin at the time, but I thought the high fae would maybe send someone to go get her. I didn't think it would be him physically going to get her. Because, you know, he's high fae, he's busy, he's got things to do, he's got pukas and bog to take care of, and he's going to get this girl in the mortal lands. Like, so I did not expect that at all. Yeah. Did you think the beast was a high fae, or did you think he was just, like, one of those scary fae's that we heard about? No. The mercenary, yeah. I totally thought he was just one of the workers. Go get this girl <laughs> and bring her back to the high fae. I mean, it was a great way to introduce us to the high fae, because now you know what he's capable of and what they he's- look like like not in their beast form but he's not afraid to get his hands dirty yeah definitely not afraid then Feyreal kind of wants to get out of the room she doesn't really want to deal with Lucian and the beast now that she sees that he's you know the golden hair and he's dressed so nicely and she's like what is happening yeah you get little redhead Lucian coming in and (laughs) She really just doesn't know what to make of them. She's like, I don't know what to deal with this estate. I never thought that the fairies would have grander estates than the mortals. And I just, she doesn't really know what to do with herself except press herself against a wall. So thank God Alice comes in and saves her to go upstairs and get her cleaned up. (laughs) Alice being the boss she is in this section. She is such a boss. She's like, get in the tub. And then her and another servant literally bathe her pluck her do her hair and it's interesting that she's like am i gonna be a slave here when they're literally bathing her and taking care of her sometimes i think she's just such in a fight or flight mode all the time yeah that she's not fully taking in any information right like no no one's gonna harm you right now they're literally taking care of you but you don't even know what that feels like or does she think she's being groomed for like them to eat her or something Oh, maybe. Maybe Maybe she thinks, like, Like, we ain't gonna eat you while you're all dirty, girl. We're gonna clean you up first, then we'll snack on you. Yeah, there is the feast (laughs) on the table, but she thinks she's gonna be, like, in the center when she's cleaned and made. Yeah, like the pig (laughs) rotating. (laughs) That's why she's like, you can't put me in a gown. I need to be in pants. (laughs) Yeah. She's like, I need to be able to fight if I need to. (laughs) Oh, for sure. So, Fira's like, can I have my old clothes back? And Alice is like, no, and walks out of the room. No. 
Yeah. No, you can't have them. Then comes back into the room with the clothes. Like, they fell apart. You know, I tried. Yeah. I tried so hard, Feyre. <laughs> really, really tried. She's like, but you're not wearing these anymore. And finally, she lets her wear trousers mm-hmm. and a tunic. She's like, fine. If you're going to be that big of a pain in my ass, you can wear them. Just for tonight. Oh, but I think she has not made her wear a dress yet, right? We don't have no mention of her being in a dress. They respect what she's saying. So I do have a notable line slash foreshadowing here. I think it's a little bit of both. So page 57, Alice says, If you're wise, you'll keep your mouth shut and your ears open. It'll do you more good here than a loose tongue. Keep your wits about you. Even your senses will try to betray you here. Some folks are bound to be upset about Andrus. Yet, if you ask me, Andrus was a good sentinel, but he knew what he would face when he crossed the wall. He'd likely find trouble. And the others understand the terms of the treaty, too, even if they resent your presence here, thanks to the mercy of our master. So I think this is just setting the tone for us. It's actually really dangerous here. I know we're bathing you and plucking you and grooming you and combing your hair and giving you all the works. And you're safe Mm -hmm. in this castle, but beyond these walls, girl, if you try to run, you're going to get got. (laughs) But it's interesting. We haven't really seen anybody else in in the estate besides, like, the one other servant that helps Alice and then Lucian and Tamlin. I know. What has happened to them? Where are they? Interessante. So, chapter seven, you know. Feyre finally eats. Thank God. It has been like basically seven chapters besides her eating a little bit of the dough in chapter two that this girl finally eats. No wonder she's starving. And after being forced to, Tamlin, like you said before, had to literally tie her with magic to the chair so that she would eat. Yeah. He serves her, which is interesting, right? Did you think that was interesting? I definitely did. I mean, when they talk about the high fae being these overlords and making them slaves and all this stuff, you assume that even though there's this treaty in place, there's going to be a little bit of a gray line there with these high fae. Mm. And Tamlin Mm. is just straight on the line. It is black and white. And he does not harm her. He's actually so nice to her and so kind to her. And Will even make a plate of food for her. Wild. That, to yeah, me, is very surprising. He does make, like, a sassy comment, like, it's an honor yeah. to be served by us. Yeah. <laughs> you like, should be honored, girl. Come on. Yeah. Eat the food that I serve to you. <laughs> Do as I say. Do it. So type A. So yeah. controlling. Yes. Our little Tam Tam. Tam Tam. But he can probably hear her pulse or something. He's like, you're about to die. You're about yeah. to pass out. Please That's eat true. this food. <laughs> 17 minutes and 39 seconds from dying. Please eat. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, Lucian is just being Lucian. He's like, do you think we're attractive? Do you think that we're pretty? <laughs> what do you think about us? And she's like, you're annoying. Have you ever thought about being hungry before? Have you ever worried about where your meal is coming from? And Lucian's like, no. Do you think I'm pretty? (laughs) Are we more handsome than human men? Yeah. Such a man thing to be only worried about their looks. Yeah. They are very curious about her love life, which (laughs) is so weird to like, during your first conversation, like, do you have a boyfriend back home? Yeah. Where is he? Do you love anyone? 
Do you love him? But do, do you, you think him? it's because they're kind of seeing, is anybody going to come after her? Are we going to have to worry about dealing with some human drama for taking this girl? Or is it kind of maybe even foreshadowing that hmm. maybe something could come out of it? So hmm. I could see both ways or maybe a little bit of both. They probably haven't yeah. seen a girl in a while besides Alice and the servants. So... Yeah, Lucian's like, you're kind of sucking at this. You're not doing a very yeah, good job. Yeah. Tamlin's like, your hair is clean. Yeah. <laughs> Thank what? you. Thank you very much. Well, Alice washed it. You should thank her, I <laughs> yeah, guess. Yeah. You can thank Alice for that. <laughs> yeah, you look better than you did before. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So after that most awkward dinner for Feyre, she goes back up to her room. She is missing her sister's like we mentioned before. Yeah. She booby-trapped her room, and poor Alice gets it in the morning. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, poor Alice. She's poor like, Alice. I'm just trying to dress you. I'm just trying to give you your breakfast, and you're... Doing my job set here. The room. Yeah, and you set the room to booby-trap and hurt me. Yeah. Which, it isn't going to hurt me. Get it through your thick head. Yeah, she's like, do you think this rope is going to stop us, girl? Come on. Come on. And then she's like, what am I supposed to do with my day? Yeah. Alice is like, well, not your keeper, but, you know, maybe you should go for a walk or something. Yeah, like, go see the garden or something. Yeah, she's like, what am I supposed to do with my time here? She doesn't know what to do with herself because she always had something to do during the day. Like, she knew what her days looked like. Yeah. And it wasn't walking around the garden and looking at paintings in the hallway. She even asks Tamlin and Lucian, what do I need to do to earn my keep here? What yeah. are supposed to do? Yeah. Like, we honestly don't care. If you need yeah. anything, ask the servants. Yep. Wild. Yep. She's not used to it. No. So as she's going to the garden, she bumps into Tam Tam and he accompanies her, even though she's like, I guess. Oh, this guy again. <laughs> it's his house, but yeah. how annoying that he's here. Why is he always at his house? God. And so he goes outside with her and she's like, if you're going to be here with me, I'm going to try to get some information out of you. Yeah. And that's when he talks about the treaty and the masquerade ball that happened where magic went awry and now they have these masks stuck on their face for the last 49 years he says which is so wild and then he calls it a blight that's what he's calling it yeah when magic went awry there was a blight which is a sickness in the land oh i feel like there's gonna be some anti-climactic that they get out of these masks When she sees Tamlin for the first time, because she does have a thought of like, "Hmm, maybe he is handsome without his mask. Maybe when she sees him, ooh, can't wait for that. Can't wait. (laughs) Can't wait. Can't wait to see your (laughs) reaction to all things related to the blight. Yes. (laughs) I do have a notable line for chapter seven, page 65, where Feyre says, Why be so generous? And Tamlin responds, I kill too often as it is, and you're insignificant enough not to ruffle this estate unless you decide to start killing us. So, bet. Yeah. (laughs) She's like, "Hmm, maybe I will. But I just think it's interesting and it's a reminder to us readers because Tam Tam, he's so nice and he's this gracious host and he's so accommodating. He has to kind of tell us that he kills too often or else we're not going to believe that he's this mean, high fae protector of all. It's just another reminder yes he is dangerous he will kill you and you're just insignificant right now yeah i think he's just trying to make the best of the situation of her being there right and following the orders of the treaty really yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> so chapter eight, we learned that she has the game plan of how she were to escape if there was ever an opportune moment or if she needed for some reason, if something happens at the estate, she has her go bag. She's like, I have clothes packed in there. I'm going to put the knife that I stole from the table in there. Yep. And when the time is ready, there's no lock on my window. There's the wisteria that I can climb down and I'm going. Yep, she already it's knows crazy. how she's going to escape. Even though they tell her, if you escape, your family will not be taken care of. And basically, yeah. we'll find you and kill you. Yeah, but... Tamlin has already told her, I wouldn't take away your family's only mechanism for survival. Yeah. So they're being taken care of. It's so right. contradicting. Do you kill too often as it is? Or who do you think we are? <laughs> maybe he just doesn't even know. Yeah, maybe We don't he know. Doesn't. He, he doesn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. I feel like they're always at dinner. Don't you just feel like every conversation that they're having is always at the dinner table? Yeah. Well, I guess I can kind of understand why because they're busy. They're high fay. They got things to do during the day. So we know Fira has her game plan in order and she's just enjoying her days. Or I don't know if she's really enjoying them, but she's doing the best that she can exploring the outside area and this is when we hear those two sets of footprints behind her in the gardens she can hear them sniffing and giggling and she's about to turn around when alice calls her for lunch i'm like kind of annoyed that she's scared in this moment if you hear two little feet and giggling i would be like "Ooh, finally something fun to do like why are you scared and why you want to kill them survival mode again do you think it could have been the puka that was behind her true that's true they like were gone when she turned around yeah but i was just i don't know do they do they have invisible powers sprites can they like poof in and out maybe i don't know (laughs) (laughs) i don't know Anyways, it could have been anybody. Yeah. So Alice brings her in for lunch and she's with Lucian and Tamlin at the table. I don't know if that's for lunch or later for dinner that night, but she's admiring Lucian's sword. Lucian is like, are you admiring it or do you want to kill him? Yeah. Like, are you trying to figure out how you can use it? Yeah. Are you trying to kill me me or do you love it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's really weird to me that they finally ask her how old she is in this chapter. In chapter seven, when they're like, what's your love life? Do you think we're handsome? Do you love anyone? And they don't even know how old she is. Yeah. kind of creepy actually <laughs> yeah now that i look at this i'm like they ask her how old she is later after all of that Funny. she also wants to know what they do with their day because she really has no idea what she wants to do with her time right and so she's like what do you guys do and lucian's like you know we dance with the sprites and switch mortal babies with changelings <laughs> And Tamlin says, didn't your mother tell us about you? Which is like, what does that mean? Yeah, we know that the mortals sing the lullabies and all that stuff about killing them and the iron. But what else is she supposed to know? And why would her mom know? Yeah, the only thing I could think about when I kept coming back to this line is when parents are telling their children of all these like lore singing them the lullabies about them that maybe the mother would have been singing to them which we clearly know the mother was not gonna be singing to them so that kind of mom does the mother know more did she know them or is it just did she sing them the lullabies yeah it kind of does seem like they know her mom or did know just from that comment didn't your mother tell you about us not didn't your mother tell you about the lore and the lullabies yeah like us specifically yeah 
Yeah. Interessante. I did see some foreshadowing in this chapter, page 78, where Feyre is thinking this. I don't think she says this out loud. Ridiculous. Insignificant. Hmm. So it's actually bothering her that Tam Tam says that she's insignificant. Mm. This because she was so significant to her family for the last eight years, like they would not survive without her or a little like, hmm, he doesn't think I'm important. Kind of like flirty, poor me thing. That or she's doing. is it she always felt insignificant to her family and now she also true. is insignificant here? She's like, where true. do I belong? True, true, true. Like, yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel oh, bad for that's her. That's kind of sad. I know her self-esteem is really taking a hit in these yeah. first couple chapters. But I mean, she's 19. Like what 19-year-old girl has self-esteem? Honestly. <laughs> true. I don't even want to go back to being 19 Me neither. Never again. Never. Never again. I'm not going back. So chapter nine, she sets off to find Lucian and she blows off Tamlin in the process. Side note here. I have to tell the story. Megan's note said, she sets off to find Lucian and blows Tamlin in the process. (laughs) Not quite there yet, Megan. (laughs) that would be some foreshadowing for sure oh for sure literally she wants nothing to do with him really she's like annoyed by his presence she's like soon enough tamlin i won't have to deal with him but here i am writing pharaoh blows tamlin before going to find lucian in the stables I need a drink after that. My cheeks are turning pink. Yes. So, yeah. Tamlin does say, hey, I have the day off and I've got nothing else better to do. Do you want to see the lands? I can give you a tour. And she's really like, no, dude, I can't. I don't want to. I kind of wish that she said yes, because I want to know more about the lands. I want to know what he wants to show her so bad that he's asked her multiple times by this point. Say yes, Feyre. Say yes so we can find out. Yeah, true. As the reader, we want to know more about the land that she's in, what's going on there, what he's like. But she has a one-track mind. And like we've said multiple times, she's just trying to get back to her family. She does not care about anyone's feelings about the treaty. She just needs to find Lucian because she thinks Lucian is the key to getting out of the treaty. Yeah. She thinks Lucian is going to be the key to help her. Mm -hmm. So she finds Lucian. She is successful. She finds him in the stable and he invites her to go along with him on patrol, which I feel like was just backhanded because, you know, it was Andres's shift and he probably wants to make her feel really bad about it. But she's like, I don't care. I'm going. I need this time with you. I don't care that you're trying to make me feel some type of way. Well, especially because she says to him, aren't you important? Why are you on a patrol? Right. And he's like, well, it's my honor to do it because it was Andrus before Mm -hmm. that did this. Mm -hmm. But now he can no longer do this. Yeah, exactly. There's the banter between (laughs) Feyre and Lucian throughout this entire chapter. And he even calls her out. He's like, why aren't you hunting? And she's not going to really say to him, well, it's because this bow and arrow is heavier than I've ever felt before. And I'd probably miss. And I've never hunted on horseback before. You know, I'm usually hiding like in a tree or a bush (laughs) trying to find the deer. She's trying to get information out of him. And Lucian just was like, let's just cut this right here because I know what you want. I cannot help you. There's no way out of this treaty. If I had it my way, you would have been gone, dead, 
But here yeah. we are. I love that he's like, it's cute that you think I can sway Tamlin. Yeah. He's like <laughs> almost honored that she thinks that he yeah. would have the power to sway Tamlin, but not only just sway Tamlin, but to break the treaty or find some loophole right. around it. Yeah. He's like, you're delusional. Which I think I can understand from her point of view because she doesn't know any better yet. We know that Tamlin is in charge, yeah. but I don't think she knows just how much more powerful Tamlin is than Lucian. Yeah, she just knows Lucian's another high fae. Since he's high fae, yeah. he could probably help exactly. me with Tamlin. Yeah. But Lucian does mention the cereal, and he's mm-hmm. like, there is something that could maybe answer the questions that you seek. But if I get any hints that you are going to go seek the cereal out, I'm locking you in your room. Or yeah. Tam Tam's going to lock you in your room. Interesting. Yes. I think she might still decide to seek them out, but we'll see what happens. We'll see. I feel like we learned so much in Chapter 9. After Lucian crushes her dreams and says, I cannot help you, she's like, let me try to get some more information about where I am now. So she yeah. asks, where's the rest of Tamlin's court? Because we we haven't really seen anybody else. And Lucian kind of responds in an odd way because he wants to know how she knows about the court, which is obviously not what she's talking about. They're talking about two different right. things. Yeah, this is actually my notable line. So I'll read it and then we can discuss. Yeah, It's on page 86. Where's the rest of Tamlin's court? How do you know about the court? He asks so quickly that I realize he thought I meant something else. Mm. What could he have meant? <laughs> he mentions a she and that the magic is awry and it came from the depths of hell and then he gets nervous when he says that because he feels like the woods and the surroundings would alert someone about what they were doing and what he was saying yeah so i think favorite you know kind of notices that he doesn't want to talk about this and changes the subject to try to get some more information out of him she's like information is key i'm gonna get as much out of him as i can while i have him alone in the woods she asks how old he is what kind of magic abilities does he have he says he doesn't have any specific kind of magic just that they are made to rule we Mm -hmm. learned that tamlin can shape shift and that he can change others into shapes and different forms then she was like oh well if tamlin has all this power and you opened your mouth when you weren't supposed to did tamlin ruin your eye he was like no he got me the replacement though he lost his eye because he hadn't kept his mouth shut yeah and i think she's thinking in this moment the killing machine mm-hmm. which he has told her she's trying to put them together tamlin did you do something wrong and he did that to you is this something he's gonna do to me mm. she even says to herself i don't even want to ask if he has the ability to shapeshift me into something else how dangerous is this guy really yeah what is everyone like here? I need all the information so that I can use it yeah. to escape. <laughs> exactly. One goal in this girl's mind. And then after all this information gathering, Lucian goes very still. And he's like, you need to keep your eyes forward. She even mentions that he goes pale. So that's how scary this new fairy that we're about to encounter is. And if he's that scared, like I think she finally is like, okay, I'm not in this castle anymore that I'm gonna be protected. And Lucian just told me he can't do shit. 
for magic. So we're kind of screwed right now. If he's that scared, I'm screwed. Yeah, even the horses flatten yeah. your ears, she mentions. Yeah. Oh man, such dramatic ends to chapters in this first Literally. Set. <laughs> Makes you want to keep reading. So we're almost at the end of our chapters here, but chapter 10 brings us with our encounter with the bog. We are, we already went over our silly voices of what we think yeah. the bog would <laughs> sound like. But she mentions that her eyes are watering because she doesn't even want to blink. She just wants to keep staring straight ahead, even though she is tempted to look because she's always tempted to look. She always needs to know what's going on. She needs all the information. Yeah. So that she can act accordingly. (laughs) Yeah. And Lucian's like, thank God you didn't look once this thing kind of slinks away because... Wait, he says, cauldron, right? This is where he says the cauldron. Oh, thank the cauldron. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that instead of saying, thank God, they say, oh, cauldron. Yeah. Thank cauldron or whatever they say. Oh my God, so funny. (laughs) Yeah. Thank cauldron you didn't look because you would have been dead. The second you look at it, that's when it becomes real and it will eat you alive. So crazy. It's interesting because now that this scary fae is gone let's get more information out of you but she asks if he was alive during the war and he's like oh my god how old do you think i am he's like come on don't i look young yeah exactly so So lucian's like let's get back home because you're asking some wild questions here and i need to get you back to the estate so they arrive back for dinner and tamlin is annoyed he is not happy that lucian took Feyre out on the hunt when he wanted to spend the day with her. Ooh, Rama. spicy. They're going to be fighting over this girl or what? I guess we'll have to Is she see. she going to come between them? Is this oh a love God. triangle? I don't know. <gasps> oh, God. Oh God. <laughs> so, How's she going to choose? So to <laughs> diffuse the situation... Lucian is like, hey, Tam, forget that I had her out on the hunt. But while we were on the hunt, we encountered the bog. And Tamlin's like, well, I gotta go then. <laughs> gotta go. Yeah. I don't want to deal with either of you like, two what? right now. Yeah. I'm going to be the big, strong hero. And I'm going to go save yes. us. And, yes. And kill the bog. But it does kind of work because Feyre's like, he can kill it? I thought you said nobody could kill it. Yes. And that's actually my notable line. So I'll read it for you. Chapter 10, page 93. Where's he? going i asked staring towards the door to hunt the boat you said it couldn't be killed that you couldn't face it tam can Ooh, tam tam can tam can this is just another indication of just how powerful he is and why he's the highest fae in authority yeah in the spring court that literally just made me want to do that cheer <laughs> tam tam he's our man, man. He, he can't kill it. it no one can no one can <laughs> oh tam tam by the way yeah, we're ex-cheerleaders so, so. just creating cheers in our head at all times just comes back so naturally so naturally but she is well i'm glad that he's gonna go do that but i'm hungry so i'm gonna eat my full meal (laughs) but she is concerned for him being out there and she is waiting for him to come back like looking out the window every once in a while to see is he back yet did he return yet yes What's going on? Can he really take on this boat? I don't know. Yeah. Is he going to be okay? Is he actually coming back? And I mean, of course he is, but we'll see. She doesn't know him well enough yet to know that he's going to be coming back. Yeah. But if he doesn't come back, that's probably a good thing for her because she'll be like, I'm out of here. True. (laughs) She's like, let me grab my bag and get the fuck out of here then. But it's interesting that this is really the one moment when she isn't thinking about getting back to her family. She is concerned about 
where he is and if he's coming back or if he's okay when previously I feel like she would be thinking well I hope he doesn't come back because then I can leave or she could have been thinking oh he's gone so this is my chance to escape while he's busy Mm -hmm. fighting the bogue at night because Mm -hmm. normally he would be at dinner and then in the castle so she can't really try to escape but she's not even thinking that she's waiting for his return yeah Mm -hmm. love is in the air (laughs) oh gosh so she thinks she finally sees him coming back and when the figure comes into the light she's like is that my dad (laughs) shook shook Which brings us to our last chapter. So Feyre is layering on the tunics because she's like, well, I don't think this satchel bag is the way to go anymore. So she's laying her on the clothes. She knows she's going to need it when she gets back into the winter once they're through the wall. And she grabs her knife and she climbs out of the window. So her escape plan is working perfectly. She starts to make her way across the estate. And like I said earlier, the dad's moving fast. And he is not dressed for winter. And she and still doesn't put it together at this point. No, no. Which I, honestly, get- I didn't either. So I can't blame her, but I was confused. I was like, how the fuck is her dad here? How? Was I he faking the, the whole I- time? That's literally what I thought. Like, he was faking? This poor girl, and yeah. he was faking. But, yeah. Who, who I think knows? the first time that I read it, I also was like, oh my God, her dad's there. Oh my God, finally, her family is sticking up for her. But I think reading it back this time, she is thinking in her head, this is weird. This is odd. She is questioning it, but she's so one-track minded again that she's like, I got to get to my dad. I have to get to those gates. I have to get back through the wall with him and making this plan of what they're going to do once they get through the wall. But as we know, Tamlin stops her. And and she's like, oh shit. Yeah. She is. She goes, this is when he finally kills me. Yep. This is when I finally die because I'm escaping and I'm not supposed to be and he caught me. Yeah. His goodwill is gone at this point. Right. But he's like, where are you going? And she goes, my father. And she points towards the gates. And then he's like, look again, you dumb, dumb, dumb girl. Yeah. (laughs) So then she looks back and she sees it's her sister's crying now. It's not her dad. And then it's a bow and a quiver. And then it's a pack of supplies. And then it's back to her father again. And Tamlin says, if you're going to run away, do it in the daylight and not at night. Because the puka, they show you what you want to see. Yeah. And they're going to eat you. And he even (laughs) says to her, weren't you warned that everything is going to be used against you? Even your own senses are going to turn on you. Exactly. Listen to Alice. She is the boss. Yeah. And to be at night to try to run away when you can barely see. Yeah. She's not thinking. And she wasn't even awake on the journey. So you don't fucking know where you're going, girl. You were sleeping. Yeah, you have no idea how to get back to the wall. Well, I guess she would think, well, my dad must know how to get through. He probably has the horses and yeah. he's going to show me. He definitely didn't walk there with his cane. Yeah. How did the dad even get on the horse? These are the <laughs> things that she should have been thinking about. Yeah, true, true. Very true. And then for the rest of chapter 11, we see Lucian and Feyre continuing the patrols together. Tamlin is very busy still hunting the bog. He barely eats dinner with them. Lucian does advise her that Tamlin does get into moods and he would rip apart anyone who disobeys his orders. So I think we get to see, even though he's been so generous with her and allowing her to live there and serve her, 
and try to take her on these tours that if he is disobeyed, like, he has no qualms about ripping someone to shreds. Yeah. And so that's why Lucian isn't out there helping him because he gave a direct order not to go with him and to stay put. Which I think is out of care for his people. He's the only one that can face this creature, then of course he's not going to ask anybody else to come with him because, for one, he only has one guy on his side left. (laughs) But I also think his type A personality has some sort of, like, martyr complex as well. I think he's not asking for help either just because he's too proud to. Right. And that he feels like he's the only one. I don't think he would ever ask for help, no. honestly. Yeah. Oh, I forgot to mention, if we could just go back, is it finally clicks with Feyre yes. that she did not break the vow to her mother. I feel like Tamlin was in his head mentally grabbing her by the shoulders and going, your vow is not broken well, to your mother. It's multiple <laughs> times at this point that he's said this to her or it is yeah. said to her. Yeah. They are fine. They are well taken care of. They are comfortable. Whatever words exactly he uses this time that gets through her head. I was literally thinking it only took 11 chapters, girl. Finally. So this is actually my notable line for this chapter. So I will read it for you. Page 98. You are not breaking your vow. You are fulfilling it and then some by staying here. Your family is better cared for now than they were when you were there. She argues, and Tamlin says, They are cared for. They are fed and comfortable. She knows that Faze can't lie, so she finally believes him. Tamlin just said, Your family is better cared for now than they were when you were Mm -hmm. there. And she's Mm -hmm. still arguing until he Mm -hmm. actually says the words. They're cared for. They're fed. They're comfortable. That's all he had to say this whole time? I know. I wonder if it's because he finally says to her, Your vow to your mother is not broken, too. Yeah. Because he originally just said, Your family is being taken care of. If you run away, they're no longer going to be taken care of. But now he's really spelling it out. He's saying, your vow is not broken. You're actually fulfilling it. Even though she argues Ah. a little bit still there, but I do think maybe it took a second for her to process it. My vow is still fulfilled. I'm not breaking that vow. So I think you're right. Yeah, I think she always is going to have that in her where she can't just surrender, even if it is feeling right to her. I feel like she just from everything has to have that fight still in her and that she has to give the fight before she can give in. The chapter ended on such a sad note for Farah, and I'm kind of sad that this is where we're ending but we have exciting chapters to come and she's having that awful nightmare mm-hmm. about when she's killing the wolf except this time he's in his fey form and that's how she kills him and she skins him with his fey oh. form and not the wolf. Yeah. What an awful disgusting <laughs> dream to have. Yeah she's definitely feeling regret now over Mm -hmm. her decision which is kind of unfair she didn't know at the time so she's being hard on herself yeah now that she has the time on her hands and she knows more about the person that she killed that it was a high fae and not a wolf he actually had duties and he was a person he had friends he had a place in this world yeah yeah people that miss him exactly yeah so now she's like oof yeah Mm mm-hmm which is sad. I know when I finished that chapter, I was like, oh, it's kind of such a sad note to end yeah. on for our chapters. But don't worry, there's more and exciting chapters yes. to come. Yes. 
<laughs> so Yay. now that we've discussed all of our chapters and our plots and notable lines and some foreshadowing, we're going to answer a few questions. And then I have a few more predictions that I want to give Megan to add to our list here. One clarification question that I have is what is the difference or the hierarchy between the High Lords and High Fates? So we know that there are seven courts mm-hmm. in Perithian, and we know that this land is ruled by seven high lords. Right. And other areas or fey territories may have emperors or kings or queens, but the land that we're dealing with, they have seven high lords and they are high fey. So they are all high fey, but they are just the ones in charge. They're the rulers of those lands where there could be other high fey in that land along with other fairies. The high fey would be higher ranking than the other fairies, but the high fae are just the human looking fairies with the pointed ears. So Mm -hmm. in the spring court, Tamlin would be the high lord. Well, we're assuming that he is because he's the most powerful, but we don't actually know that yet. Very true. So as of right now, he is the most powerful that we're meeting. So I am assuming he is the high lord at this point. Okay, thank you. That definitely clears it up for me. Megan. During your reread of this section, what is one thing you didn't catch the first time around that you did during your reread? I feel like there was many moments that I forgot from these beginning chapters that I was like, oh my gosh, that happened then. But one in particular that's coming to mind is them asking about her love life. I do not recall this at all. Interesting. And knowing what I know now, that was something that I was really shocked that I forgot about. Wow, that's good. One more question here, and we're both going to answer this one. So only knowing what we know so far in these chapters so that we don't get any spoilers, what they would you be most afraid of? I think the bog. I really think that is the scariest one for me. I don't like the thought of something being this close that I can't see. Yeah, whispering, (laughs) feeling it on my neck and trying to get me to look at it. I would be petrified. For me, it would be the puka because I feel like I would react exactly how Feyre did. And if Tamlin wasn't there to save me, I would be eaten slowly, which makes me crawl in my skin. Not only am I an idiot, I'm going to fall for this freaking puka's trap, but I'm also going to die a (laughs) slow, agonizing death. Would not want to run into one of those things. Thank God they're fake. (laughs) None of them are very pleasant. Even just thinking about the Martax that has the teeth of a shark and the body of a bear and what was it the head of a lion or something i don't know yeah no they don't seem fun i would never leave that castle probably never leave the bedroom so do have some predictions for this last section our last section of our first episode so crazy it's crazy it's crazy I know. Well, I'm going to make sure that I keep track of all your predictions. Okay, perfect. So I can react to them after. Yes. <laughs> I might laugh because I can't help it. Okay. <laughs> all right. So one, which I've already kind of gone over, but she's going to paint something and Tamlin will fall in love with her. Tam Tam's going to love the paintings. Two is the court that Lucian asked Feyre how she knows about. I think something bad happened to them and maybe Feyre will team up with Tam Tam and Lucian to get them back. Or or that they somehow turned their back on him for some reason. And Lucian and previously Andrus are the only ones who stayed loyal. And I also 
notice that our author, Sarah J. Moss, dedicated the book to Josh, her husband, and the dedication says, because you would go under the mountains for me, I love you. So I assume that we will travel there at some point in this book. We are going under the mountains. She'll be coming around. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) My last one I have is that her family... Even though I don't want them to, they're going to come back into this story at some point. And it's either maybe going to be as bait to get Feyre to do something or maybe punishing Feyre for her pissing someone off. So there's going to be some reason why they get dragged back in this story. And of mm-hmm. course, Feyre being Feyre is going to do whatever she has to do for them to be safe. Mm-hmm. So those are my predictions for this stretch of chapters. And I mean, I think I- I'll have more once we get into a little bit more of the plot. I feel like this set was more about the world building and introducing the characters and that kind of yeah. stuff so yeah i definitely think going into next week there won't be as many characters to right introduce exactly as much more world building but what i want from you is i don't want you to change any of these predictions i just want you to add on to them as okay you read more okay sounds good thank you Ooh. thank you thank you thank you <laughs> so i'm so sad that we're done <laughs> I know. Just talk all night to you. I really could talk about this book till the wee hours of the morning. I I love talking about this book. I love these characters. I love the story. And I'm just so happy that I get to do all this with you as you experience this for the first time. She really has only read to chapter 11. Yes, I purposely purposely stopped reading until at least we recorded because I wanted my brain to really be focused in on this section and not know anything else or not mistakenly give away something else. So I will definitely be reading more tomorrow that's for sure now that i can (laughs) make sure you read chapters 12 through 20 with us and get ready to discuss that with us next week yes and don't forget that you can let us know any thought you have we will talk about it we will go over it we will mention you Mm -hmm. if you want to be mentioned whatever works you let us know And don't forget to follow us, subscribe, rate us five stars, tell all your friends about us. Anybody that you know that has read this book, it doesn't matter if you've already read it, you could listen to us and pick up some things. Like Megan has said, she's already thinking of so many things that she's forgotten because she's read every single Sarah J Moss book already (laughs) that's available. (laughs) So I think it would be beneficial to anybody that really enjoys this series. So please, please, please do all the things yes please it is great to reread it even if you don't reread it and you're just listening to it it's just great to remember the story yes and we really really appreciate all the support that we received this past week since our trailer came out we love you so so much we love you all right well that's all we have for today we hope the rest of your day is blissful Bye. Bye! Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week where we start part two of A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah Jane Moss covering chapters 12 through 20. Happy reading! Happy reading!